This is the DTV Digest, the podcast that brings you news and reviews of films which didn't make it to the cinema. And now, here's your host, Mike Parkin. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the DTV Digest. I'm your host, Mike Parkin, and joining me, as usual, are Richard Halls. Hello, everyone. And Stephen Lockridge. Hello. This week, we've got a whopping seven films to crack through. We're going to kick off with Nicolas Cage in Sympathy for the Devil. Then we have King of Killers, Dark Asset, and Another Day to Live Through. After that, we've got The Sound of Silence, The Curse of Crom, and Final Summer. Our short shot is Flower of Battle, and we're going to round off with Shadow Guard as our DTV throwback. So without further ado, let's crack on. Our first film, then, is Sympathy for the Devil. After being forced to drive a mysterious passenger at gunpoint, a man finds himself in a high-stakes game of cat and mouse, where it becomes clear that not everything is as it seems. So I think there is enough material here for a decent short film. But a lot of this feels like it's an Uber ride in real time. I don't know how you feel about this one, right? Uh, yeah, it's 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 what it's what I call cage filler. <laughs> there's a lot of cage filler in here. There's Indeed. a lot. Of, there's a lot of Nicolas Cage being Nicolas Cage. <laughs> it's it's sometimes with, with Nicolas Cage, I feel like, I feel like it's the film Bowfinger. Mm-hmm. And that you know they're just secretly filming him in real life, and then just stop kind of turning it into a film. Um, I mean, he looks crazy when he gets into the back of this car. You know, his hair's partly dyed red. He's wearing this sort of gaudy, sort of Las Vegas suit, carrying a gun, and you know, and just sort of like not blinking at all. You know, just in, in the back of this car, very very crazy. Um, but I don't know, there's just a lot of, you know, there's bits of this where they're just literally just driving around in silence, you know, which is kind of the way I take an Uber, <clears throat> you know. Um, Steve, how did you get on with Sympathy for the Devil? Um, I enjoyed it. Um, I think it's simply for the facts of Nicolas Cage, to be fair. Mm. It's one of these, you know, <clears throat> off-the-wall, crazy performances it's i mean joel kinnaman really he, he could have been anyone he really could no. I, and i i like joel kinnaman yeah too, yeah I don't mind it. in this yeah he doesn't get to do anything yeah at no. all no it's just let's sit there in silence and say a few lines now and again and um i thought the twist was quite good well, it's not really a twist but you know what i mean it's it, the way he mm. swings Towards the final third, but it's just, yeah, it is. It is, it is like an Uber ride, you know. It, it kind of reminded me of slightly, like, you know, like once upon a time in Hollywood, mm-hmm. which my massive bugbear of that is when they're driving, and it's literally the full drive in the film, if you know what I mean. It, it, I can't even remember that scene in in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, 
there's about three or four like Brad Pitt's driving up to the yeah, oh right yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I remember now yeah yeah when he go when he goes to the ranch yeah yeah it just kind of reminded me of that really and it's very soft I mean there's not really much action until three quarters of the way through mm. where it does kind of go a bit haywire and a bit mental and then then it just kind of peters out you know it's to me it's kind of like an experimental film and like you say yeah I think it would have been good as a short mm. um, but it's okay it's not the best I've seen them in seen Cajun recently or the worst it's Pretty average, to be fair, I think. Yeah, I think that's what we got here is average cage. How about you, Rich? What did you make of Sympathy for the Devil? Well, I say, yeah, it is quite slight. It's been insubstantial. I mean, the film that came to mind for me when I was watching it was Collateral, the Michael Mann film, <laughs> which was um, obviously Tom Cruise and uh, a Jamie Foxx, I think it was. Um, you know, yes, being, you know, being forced to drive him around and is again. But the difference was in 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 Collateral. Um, you know, Tom Cruise had places to go and, and stuff to do. So there was like action every every mm. every once in a while. Uh, whereas this one is, it, it just meanders. It's a very much a kind That's, of Yeah, that, you've, hit, you've hit the nail on the head there. That's what I was expecting out of this, is this guy gets in the back of the car. I was expecting him to be using Joel, Joel Kinnaman as a, a kind of as a cover, basically, you know, to do some nef- nefarious stuff. But he isn't. He's literally just getting him to drive him around so he can talk to him. It's like, oh, for fuck's sake. Yeah, it it needed that sort of element, that sort of mission element, I think, in order to sort of make it really compelling. Yeah, it's more of a, it's it's just this two-hander with, you know, Nicolas Cage being amped up to 11. Mm. You know, like I say, you wonder whether all the stuff like the hair and the suit and everything was like, that was what Cage said he wanted to do, and he brought that in. And you know, he brings it. You know, the film is the film it is because of him. Uh, you know that you you get you want to watch a you want to watch a Nicolas Cage. You know, being a like a you know the meme, the Nicholas mm. being the Nicolas Cage meme. Well, this is the film because there's so mm. many sort of memey moments in it um, that I think people will enjoy. There's some really weird you know moments of dialogue and stuff uh, and things that. He, I, I suspect a lot of it is ad-libbing because mm. a lot of it's just random and makes no sense. And he's just saying stuff. I think, you know, they've just got, they've just had the bare bones of a script <laughs> or, or, and they've just sort of let him do his stuff. Uh, and nothing really, you know, there's nothing really consequential. And every now and again, they sort of tie in something like, Oh, we're going to uh, have like a tense situation with, um, uh, you know, a member of the public in a diner or something. And there'll be a little dialogue exchange and a little bit of tension build up. And then we'll move on, you know, kind of thing. But that's mostly what it is. It's it's um, Joel Kinnaman being the straight man, uh, you know, being sort of wrong-footed and, uh, you know, uneasy and wanting to get back to his pregnant wife's hospital. That's where he was. He was taking his wife, where he was going to the hospital to visit his wife when mm-hmm. Nicolas Cage, you know, um, uh, hijacks him, basically, and sort yeah. of tells, you know, you're not going in there, you're, you're taking me. Um, and, yeah, and it kind of leads to a conclusion that I kind of saw coming, to be honest. I thought I thought they telegraphed it quite a lot. Um, mm. There's a little bit of a twist to it that I didn't quite didn't expect, but it wasn't you know monumental or anything. I think it's fine. I think you know you can, I think there's a reason it's more of a, a 
a premium VOD kind of release than a cinema release. You know, Nick, Nick Cage has had a few cinema releases lately, like Renfield and stuff. But mm -hmm. I think this is too slight to um, do that. But you definitely get your money's worth. You get your money's worth out of Cage, that's for yeah, sure. Yeah, it's out of Cage you do, yeah. yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. in terms of a storyline, you're not, you're not going to get you know, mm -hmm. a huge amount. You know, it's, it's, it's just, it is what it is. It's, it's, a, it's Cage, you know, overacting, uh, you know, ha having fun with, you know, his character because he likes playing back. You know, it's like a, it's like him doing one of his like um, uh, face off, you know, Castor Troy mm. kind of bad guys where he's yeah. just, you know, gurning and, you know, being weird. <laughs> it's, it is strange because we, we do get we do get sort of, you know, the full spectrum of Cage, you know, um, not obviously, you know, this one I, I'd put it as a an eight out of 11 on the, on the mm -hmm. cage meter but at the same time we get films like the humanity bureau where he's just pl literally playing a pencil pushing civil servant kind of, kind of guy you know a very sort of dour wearing a big raincoat yeah. you know he does a lot. that is a particularly yeah. that's about it. that's an example of one of his blandest performances mm. i think yeah he he can be bland when he when he's not um, yeah. when he's not well he might be trying to sort of play against his instincts in some of the things so. he's just like you know yeah, this is, that's this what is I mean. him but yeah. um he can yeah, dial it down when he when he when he you know you know when the script calls for it but then again yeah you know he, he can sort of go at it with abandon on, in, on other occasions yeah you usually want somewhere like a happy medium kind of thing mm. um... it'd be interesting to see i mean i haven't seen i haven't seen pig for example that's supposed to be very good mm. yeah um yeah good. And, and we've got another one coming up soon called the retirement plan yeah, um, I think that's on next week's show, or, yeah, or, in the, or within the next two weeks, anyway. Yeah, I think that looks pretty cool, actually. So we get we get a sort of nice mix with, with you know, you, you're never totally sure what you're going to get out of Cage, but it's always watchable, I think, you know, uh, he, he does sort of like deliver. He's definitely anyway, one of the more interesting, yeah. you know, actors. Certainly, I mean, at the moment, he's in this interesting point, and he's been there for a while, but he's sort of, moving between theatrical and mm. direct -to video releases you know with um uh relative ease you know it's not like mm. the, it's it's a bit of a weird one but we're start, we're kind of seeing the same with a few other actors because you know like people like um gerard butler for example when mm -hmm. their films are just being yeah. bought, bought up for showing on amazon and stuff like that or liam neeson you know they're moving between theatricals you know so you've got jason statham one minute he's in the meg next minute he's in wrath of man on amazon or Operation Fortune and stuff like that. So you get you've got all these guys are sort of in this weird place in their careers mm. where they they are movies they are movie stars. They can still be in a, a big theatrical release, but a lot of their stuff is sort of um, high end, you know, releases on home entertainment formats and and, and well, you know, stuff Stallone. like that. So. Stallone, we had um, yeah. the, the superhero yeah. thing, and you know. And then yeah. we've got the Expendables coming out this month and sort of things yep. like that. So, yeah, and yeah. Tulsa King and stuff like that. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, scores on the doors for Sympathy for the Devil, Steve. I'll go a seven. A seven. Okay, and Rich? I think it's a bit too slight, so I'm going to go for a six. I'm joining you on a six. Yep. So... Yeah, I think I think as I said, you know, what it's missing is a bit more drive <laughs> to to the story. To, to you know, um, in, instead of just sort of meandering around as as it does, uh, there are a few sort of set pieces 
along yeah. the way. Um, but the rest of it seems to be an actual Uber drive that's kind of been ad libbed. So there yeah. you go. So two six. Well, the young. Sorry, I was just going to interrupt. The, the director was quite, I thought was quite interesting because mm-hmm. a guy called Yuval Adler, mm-hmm. who's a, an Israeli director, um, and he's done. He's done sort of dra- dramatic thrillers, quite a few sort of. There was a film called The Secrets We Keep, which he did with Joel Killam and and uh, oh, Nimi yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And then there was a there was another one called The Operative, which he did with Martin Freeman and Diane Kruger, both of which look quite interesting, and I haven't seen them. But this seems to be a, quite a change of pace for the sort of film that he normally does, more um say more slimmed down kind of story although still touching on some themes of like intrigue and revenge and and stuff like that so um maybe that's what drew him to it i, I just thought it was an interesting choice uh, that uh, that he was doing it rather than um somebody else but yeah sorry that's just a, a, mm-hmm. a footnote there indeed so that's uh two sixes and a seven for sympathy for the devil go check it out Our next film is King of Killers. A year after the tragic death of his wife, government hitman Garan is convinced to join a group of international assassins who are contracted to take out the most dangerous killer in the world, only to find out that they are the ones being hunted. Such a great idea. So badly executed. Um, I did like probably about half of this. But there's a lot of setup um, and a lot of Alamusi's face that, you know, he's just. Alamusi's face. He can't <laughs> act. The guy can't. Oh, leave him alone. Act. Leave him alone. Leave him alone. He's supposed to be, ca- he's supposed to be carrying a film. He's got, he's. He, oh, I like Alamusi. I think he's all right. <laughs> You make it sound. You, you sound so sympathetic. Yeah. <laughs> you think I've just kicked a dog for God's sake. Um, <laughs> anyway, there is a lot to like here. Um, I did like Frank Grillo in it. I did like some of the the, the sort of um, you know the set pieces as they were going on. They were pretty cool. I did like the ending. Believe it or not, I did like the little twist at the end. Um, uh, you know, to, uh, that all changed. I like that. Didn't like the stinger right at the end. That just like, well, what the hell's that about? But um, I think. Did you did you like the color blue? Did, did I like <laughs> the, yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> it's yeah. Th- there's good bits and bad bits. That's for sure. Um, Steve, what did you make of King of Killers? Uh, I didn't. Oh, you didn't see it? No, didn't see it all. Oh, sorry. All right. <laughs> uh, Rich, well, how do you get on with this? So obviously, you, you, you're a bit more sympathetic than I, I am. I quite like, well, I don't mind Alan Moosey. I mean, a lot of action movie guys are a bit bland, generally. A lot of them don't really, you know, stand out that much. So I think he, he he's, he's perfectly, you know, fine within, you know, the, the sort of, the line of, of you know sort of the, the sort of guys he sits alongside i would say um he definitely you know he's he's he is a a stunt man and martial artist and stuff so he's you know he's got a good physique and you know he, he he can do the action and stuff which is one of the main things for me um 
And yeah, I think he's okay with the dramatic stuff. I mean, I'm not expecting a huge amount from him. Um, uh, I didn't mind him in the uh, Kickboxer uh, films that he did. Uh, obviously, he was better in the second one than he was in the first one. Well, the first one was pretty rubbish uh, all around. I, well, I felt anyway. I didn't really like. I thought it was a bit of a mess that one. I did think the second one was pretty good so overall. Had a lot of, had quite got a lot of good features to it and stuff. I'm looking forward to the next one if they do. Um, get around to it but at the moment it's looking like they might do um so yeah so it's interesting to see him in a slightly different movie but he's got this massive cast around him obviously there's the frank grillo leverage because you know frank grillo has to be in pretty much everything so he's he's um uh he's the bad guy who's basically brought them all together and stuff uh yeah so it's, this is one of those assembly uh, assembling a bunch of assassins movies uh, there was one called Mean Guns, which Albert Pune did with Ice T and Christopher Lambert, and then the, mm. there obviously there was the uh, the tournament with uh, which featured Scott Atkins and and uh, Robert Carlyle. Mm. Uh, different versions of this kind of thing have been done before. What I think, what um, uh, the uh, the other people in the cast, like George Saint Pierre, is in there. Uh, Stephen Dorff, and mm. um, uh, then there's a a, a few other sort of people I'm less familiar with. Um, what I found really interesting about this um, on the background was there's there's a there's a big tough guy in there in, in a part of the group played by an mm. actor called Kevin Grevio, who's a very recognizable guy. He's got this really gravelly voice. Yeah. And he's the director. And oh, okay. I, I was like, oh, I was really interested that I was oh was okay. So he's direct I think this is direct his director or debut. But what I didn't know well, he's that alongside his movie tough guy thing that he's been doing for years is he's a comic book writer. He's he's, okay. he's got a very successful career as that side. So this is based on a comic book that he created. Hmm. Um, and he created, I think he conceptualized the underworld series as well, which he also appeared in. Oh, right. um, so, um, and I, and I, I never knew, I thought that was quite fascinating, not sort of on the back end because I never knew any of that. I've always known him as just, that guy who, you know, you know, I never knew his name, but he's one of those sort of, you know, supporting players who you always recognize turning up in action movies and stuff. But yeah, so it's a fun. So I thought that was really interesting. I thought in terms of um, um, the kind of, co it, it does these little comic book layovers, you know, uh, but uh, like at the start and at the end, but luckily not, not all over the place, mm -hmm. you know, like where they um, do drawings or, or whatever of the characters to emphasize the comic book origins, which they kind of, overdid with jujitsu which i believe is yeah. from the same producer yeah. and that was a bit of a that was uh, funnily enough with nicholas cage um but that that was a, a didn't quite work that film uh i think this works better i think it's all right it's got quite a straightforward plot uh it's just a series of set pieces strung together uh so, some of it's filmed quite nicely and like, as i was sort of indicating earlier some of it's really blue. It's like when all the all the scenes where the assassins are sort of uh, brought together and being talked to by um, Frank Grillo on a big TV screen, for some reason they make they put this blue filter or uh, over the whole thing, which looks cheap and terrible. <laughs> uh, some of the action scenes, um, like there's one with George Saint Pierre, which looks quite cheaply done as well. Um, the, the the set design and everything's not that good. But other other parts of it actually look quite polished. But as I say, it, it is a film that seems to have had some budget limitations that do become a bit too 
obvious at times. But for the most part, I thought the fight action was pretty decent. Uh, Grillo yeah. wears a mask for a lot of it, so he's quite easy to double. Um, and that helps. Uh, there's a there's a, in media res uh, to, to sort of get things going. And uh, after after two minutes of logos, it takes a quite takes a little while to actually get get going. I've written down leg break because I think there was a moment in the film where there's quite an intense, mm. you know, a leg breaking moment. Well, we've just been away at the Fighting Spirit Film Festival, and <laughs> well, it's been overshadowed. <laughs> it's, like, it's been a bit overshadowed now yeah. by seeing about a billion limbs get <laughs> cracked. <laughs> it's like in one in about in a one twenty film, minute sequence. Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, but anyway, so that sort of stuck out of me. But yeah, I thought it was fine. I'd say I've got some reservations. There's some split screen use and uh, some other little gimmicks and beeps and stuff that um, blips and whatever to sort of stylize it, which I don't, I don't think works. But I think there's enough in here for action fans to enjoy. Um, yeah, the fight yeah. scenes I was I was really on board with. You know, it was all all really good stuff. Just some, just some really sort of silly things like um, when you got all these assassins in a room, and they're supposed to be, they're supposed to be the best at what they do, kind of thing, mm. Mm. and yet they're acting like high school kids. Yeah, you know what you say to me? What you say? All this sort of shit. I'm thinking, really, would would you really lose your cool so easily? Would, would your ego be so bruised so so? You know, is it that fragile that <laughs> you, you've managed to get this far in your career and you're going to let somebody wind you up? You know, it, it just see, it didn't sit right at all. You yeah. know, I did. I did like the bit where one got. There's one none of that John to... Wick dignity in there, is there? <laughs> no, but I did like the bit when one of the guys tries to leave. That was yeah. really well done. Yeah. Um, but the bit immediately afterwards, where they go. Oh, we've got eyes on everyone, and suddenly, like all the laser pointers start coming onto them. I'm thinking they're in a in a, a room with only one set of windows, and none of them are facing the windows. <laughs> Where are those lasers coming from? <laughs> you know, it's, it's silly things like that. Really, it just sort oh, of. Oh, I tell you what, bugged me as well. They make a big effort of saying, "Oh, we're in Japan." Hmm. And stuff, and and it's clearly just establishing shots. Oh, <laughs> very much. Once you, get, yeah. once you get inside, it's just like there's nothing that feels Japanese about it at all. It's just like, well, they, 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 well, apart from that sort of dinner scene, where they go out of the way to be as cliched as possible. So they've got the low table that they all have to sit mm. around. They've got fucking bonsai trees on the table. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and and the paper screens around. Yeah, the room yeah, yeah, yeah. So, oh yeah, oh yeah, we're in Japan because you know clearly. It's ridiculous, but um, yeah, the fight stuff was good, and I, and I did like the sort of the world building at the end. I must admit, I, I like the sort of little twist that sort of came in, you know, when sort of the winner, his prize is revealed. Sort of, thing. it's like yay. Um, yeah, it was. I put it this way: if they do a sequel, which I'm, I, I must admit, I'm kind of hoping they will. Well, there's a very, there's kind of a very long lead-in for one, isn't there? Oh yeah, yeah they're yeah. really trying to set one up. Really trying to set one up, and then it's like, oh yeah, one of the guys we you thought was dead isn't, you know, right at the end of the film. So it's like because you know he he was one of the good good guys, I guess. The rest of them were scum. So, but they say one of them at least. Yeah. All right, Rich, how are you going to score King of Killers? 
I'm gonna go. Oh. I think there's enough in it to warrant a seven. I'd say it's borderline six because of some of the some of the shooting and stuff. But there's enough people in the cast that I like. The action's good. You know, pretty you know, pretty decent for the most part. Uh, there's enough in there. I'd say that you know, it's it's worth a watch. It's not going to blow your mind, but you're not going to regret the hour and a half. How, how did you feel about Alan Moosey's disguises? <laughs> oh, it's like at the beginning where he's got like the, the handlebar the, moustache. The, the handlebar moustache. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I think... that's, that's sort of... is. I don't know if they were trying to be funny with that or, or whether that was, again, sort of budget limitations. <laughs> it's like, it was like that's so quite... obviously... Steve, I was like, he's not, he's not going to stay like that. Is <laughs> I suppose it's one of those things. It's like, it's something to draw your eyes. So, so, you know, if somebody goes, could he describe the, you know, the person who who snuck in, snuck in the back way or something? And go, yeah, he had a really big moustache, you know, and probably wouldn't remember anything else about them. So, <laughs> so that's probably why I did it. Um, I'm going to join you on a very low seven for this one. Yeah, I wish it'd been better, but it's Where do you, solid. How do you enough. think it ranks next to Jujitsu? Do you think it's better or? Do you, oh, it's better. Like no, I yeah. think it's better. It's not as weird. I mean, Jujitsu was was weird. Um, mm. You know, this is a bit more sort of straightforward. You know, you don't have to be in a weird mood to watch it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and, and again, sound effects. You know, you know what I'm like about sound effects, as as we'll learn later on in this episode. Do you think they ever considered? Because um, obviously I worked with Nicolas Cage on Jiu Jitsu, that 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 the Frank Grillo movie, uh, the Frank Grillo role in the movie would have been Nicolas Cage, because it just feels like something that could have fitted him mm. just as easily as it fits Grillo. What do you think? It could. And have, do you think yeah. it would have been better if it was Cage? I no, I, I don't think I don't think we'd have had the decent fight scenes, or mm. or or we would have been going well. Clearly, all all of his fight scenes are done with a stunt double. Whereas with with Frank, it's like probably sixty forty. Yeah, you, know? um, you, you, you can tell he's he, he's in the mix some some of it. Yeah. Um, so there you go, two sevens for King of Killers. Go check it out. Our next film is Dark Asset. A secret operative with a special chip implanted in his brain escapes a top-secret facility and tells his story to a blonde at a bar. Uh, so <laughs> this isn't the film I was expecting it to be, Rich, I, I must admit. Um, I was expecting, you know, Byron Man escapes a top-secret facility, goes on the run, gets chased by secret operative agents all through the yeah. film. You know, but it's yeah. not. He's, he, you know, he finds this blonde in a bar, sits down, and tells her a story. It's, um, you know, with with flashbacks and all sorts going on. Um, yeah, disappointing, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> so I was, it, I was expecting. I was like, yeah, oh. one, yeah, exactly. But once you sort of manage that expectation, I must admit, I I did kind of like this. It does it does get off to a very rocky start because the the guards at the secret operative facility that he's escaping from are the worst guards on the planet you know monty python in um the holy grail could have done a better job than these guys they are ridiculously bad it's like there's three guards steve okay yeah the first guard runs around the corner gets shot 
falls falls down. The next guard chasing after him sees his comrade get shot, still runs around the corner and gets shot. The third guy <laughs> sees his two friends on the floor, runs around the corner and gets shot. Okay. There is never a point in this film where any guard thinks, maybe I should just peek around the corner first. Yeah. It, it's almost as if Death Wish was part of their CV. Yeah. You know, it's it's like I want. I, I honestly, I watched this and I wanted to write a letter to the secret operative, secret base, HR department, and say maybe you wouldn't need so many guards if you actually found some who are a bit cautious. Then yeah. maybe they'd last a bit longer instead of, you know, I I don't even know if they actually fired a shot between them. It was it was that ridiculous. They were just bullet sponges. Every single one of them. Uh, anyway, that was me venting a bit. It does, as I said, once he gets out of the facility and he finds this blonde and he sits down and tells all this sort of story, he's really charming, old Barrio man. He's 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 got a great sort of cadence to his voice. You know, I've always liked him as an actor. So, I mean, I think one of the first things I saw him in was a John. It was a Steven Seagal movie. Um, he's done not, a few Steven Seagal movies. He's done a few. Yeah, he has actually. Belly of the Beast was, I think, the first one that he did with Cigar. No, it wasn't that one. The first one I saw was he was a baddie. Um, oh, a dangerous man. A dangerous man. When Steven Seagal was playing a Russian novelist. Oh no, that's. Uh, I don't think he was in that one. That was Driven to Kill. Yeah, I'm pretty I think sure you're thinking of a dangerous man. No, dangerous. Oh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Dangerous man is the one with uh, Darren Shalavi. Uh, no, that's Born to Raise Hell. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> no, Sorry. but no, a, a Dangerous Man is the one where he helps this kid in the car park who's getting... That's right. Yeah, that, that's that's not the Byron Man one. Um, Byron Man oh, Byron Man's still... definitely the villain in that one. But like I said, you pro you're probably right. Maybe he was in Driven Maybe. to Kill as well. But... Yeah. Anyway, yes, yeah, so there was that one. And he, yes, he was in another one where he was a, a partner to Seagull. And his one character trait was, I think there was sort of in Budapest or somewhere, and his one character trait was going to all the massage parlors. Yeah, that was absolution. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Terrible. Anyway, yeah, so I like Byron Man, you know, and he was good in um, Woo Warriors, the Netflix series. Oh, yeah, yeah. Alongside Iko Uwe. Um So he's great in this. You know, I, I liked him. You know, he's kind of sort of suave and, and, and charming. Um, he's great. Uh, we got Robert Patrick in there uh, with no eyebrows. <laughs> he's got no eyebrows in this. It is very, very strange. I kept getting my eyes kept being drawn to the fact that he's got no eyebrows. Um, but he's he's the evil scientist behind everything. Um, and there's you know there are some interesting little bits and pieces along the way. Uh, once we get past all the the stupid security guards, at least. Um, but it's not the the setup we would have expected. Uh, Rich, how did you get on with Dark Asset? Well, say I thought it got off to a pretty decent start once it sort of um, after the first couple of minutes when the action kicked in. I was pretty happy with it because I was like, oh, you know, um, Byron Man's good. He, I mean, he's still got the moves. I mean, we've, like you say, we've, he's been he's been in movies since like the early early to mid nineties. I think, uh, you know, Street Fighter was one of his big sort of uh, releases uh, at the time. Um, and then it, but he's appeared in tons of other stuff, Crime Freeman. Uh, you know, he did Martial Law and uh, Dark Angel with um, 
Jessica Alba and he did you know loads of TV stuff. I don't know if he was in the um that one that uh Jet Lee and Mel Gibson produced Invincible with um uh Billy Zane. I'm just trying right. to check whether he was in Do you remember that one? It was like a TV pilot. Mm, I don't think I saw it. Invincible. Yeah, he did do it. So he was in the pilot for that, um, which was quite a big release uh, in the you know at the start of two thousand. And then, like you say, all the Steven Seagal stuff. So Belly of the Beast and whatever. I really like him. I think he's good. And yeah, he's say the the action, He's great with the action. And then it's it then it becomes like you say this two people having a conversation thing. So it's a bit like Sympathy for the Devil again. Mm. Um, but in this case. Uh, they're just sitting in a restaurant and it's all like flashback story. You know, it's all, it's mm. all him telling, um, telling the story of how he came to be there eventually and, and whatnot. And obviously there's a twist in the tale and all that sort of stuff. So I was a bit like, Oh, once it's, once it settled down and he was sitting, sitting there, I was like, this is, this is what it is now, isn't it? <laughs> it's like, yeah. I was like, Oh, I wanted him to be on the run and doing big action sequences and stuff. And I was yeah. just like, no, it's not. Uh, that's a shame um because say, i think oh yes you you know you highlighted some issues with the uh with the guards there and stuff but i i had fun with that sequence um mm -hmm. there's some I, you know it got my attention i thought it was, it was some pretty good stuff uh but it's um it's basically byron man delivering a monologue or a series of monologues um occasionally with um i think it's helen Matson, uh, uh, is it Helen Matson? Uh, yeah, Helen Mats, Helena Matson, uh, occasionally sort of asking him a question or or whatever, you know, have them having a little, um, because he's like, there's some sort of oh, nice flirting gonna... going on, yeah, it's like a flirtatious thing going on with them and stuff, and mm -hmm. um, whatever. And, um, she's from, I think she did one of the species sequels, if I'm not she, mistaken. She, she could, yeah, she could double for Natasha Henestridge. I think she was in. She, I might be wrong, but I thought she was in one of the species movies. Uh, I, I can't find it anyway. But she looks. Uh, if she didn't, she she certainly looks like um. She, I don't know, I'm sure. Hang on, sorry. Um, I'm pretty sure she was in. anyway. Um, so she's fine. She looks to me a lot like Laura Vandervoort. I think you could, you mm -hmm. know, you could easily get them two confused. Uh. From um, uh, she, she was in things like Rab, uh, the Cronenberg uh, um, Rabbits, Cronenberg's uh, oh, Rabbit, yeah. the remake by the I think Sosco it was the Sosco Twins. Yeah. 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 Um, the director here is uh, Michael Winnick. Uh, she was also in his film uh, Code of Honor, which was another film which was try trying to be clever um, with mm -hmm. sort of limited resources and do uh, trying to do it. Oh, we're going to pull the rug out from under you with a with a with a twist in the tail kind of thing which also had people having conversations uh, in a in a in a in a sort of a bar restaurant kind of place um so yeah uh, it, it yeah i felt a bit disappointed about it to be honest there's li the some of the uh limited production design lets it down a bit as well which again i know i've sort of said that about king of killers and stuff as well you know it's all very scene. empty rooms yeah, yeah. there's the one restaurant is very bland when, when he's telling uh, the woman what he found there. There's one scene where he goes into a room and there's like five of these other, you know, operatives who've been yes. operated on, and it, it it looks like something from the set of like the original Star Trek series. 
mm-hmm. you know, because it is just a series of like metal slabs in the room. And, you know, they've got some sort of nice sort of red and sort of blue lighting. But in the mm-hmm. corner of the room, I'm, I swear I saw a fish tank. And it was only <laughs> there just to provide some extra contrast, you know, color-wise, yeah. you know, because it added a bit of green to the thing. There is no reason at all why there would be a fish tank in that room. But there it was, sort of tucked no, in the corner. It, it was literally a big empty room with people laying on gurneys that's basically exactly. that's basically that's all, all it was, was. yeah um so we the, need more color let's get a fish tank in here yeah and like you say and like this you know the, the the room that he escapes from and the corridor it's all very you know mm. bland environments you know it's like um and then they try to jazz things up by like oh he's driving a sports car look at this car <laughs> hey and they try to make a big thing about the car probably belonged to the producer or something in there or yeah, they exactly. or they rented it or something but uh, I think it was a Lamborghini or, or something, and then they try to make this big thing. Oh, uh, oh he's going to give her the Lamborghini now or something, and like that's one of his sort of you know charming things that he's doing. It's like I like Byron Man. He's charming. He's good with the action. He's a good lead. It's good to see him in a leading role for a change Absolutely. because too often yeah. he's relegated to like you say the yeah, side henchman or, 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 henchman bad or, or, like or bad guy or something. So I, I think this is a film that's utilizing him more than he generally gets a chance to. So I do appreciate it for that reason. I just wish they'd have sort of done more with him in terms of yeah. you know, making it more of a an on-the-run action thriller, which is kind of what I was hoping it would be. Exactly. On that note, Rich, how are you going to score it? I'm going to have to go another six on this one, I think. I agree. Um, I've got issues. Uh, but funny, you know, funny enough, the opposite to Rich... I, I kind of enjoyed the second half more than the first. Um, but there you go. So two sixes for Dark Asset. Go check it out. Our next film is Another Day to Live Through. It's another After... film to live through. Yeah. <laughs> After a mysterious accident, a young hiker finds herself the guest of a lone ex-soldier slash survivalist out in the Finnish wilderness. Um, okay, this is a strange one, and I kind of I, I I want to talk about the ending. So at the end of this review, we're going to have a little spoiler section. So we're going to jump, um, but later on. So we have this young woman who's hiking through this sort of forest. She bumps into this guy and um, he's like, oh, hey, where are you headed? You know, and she sort of tells him that she's off to some log cabin and, and he sort of sends her off in, in a certain direction. And the next thing she knows, she's waking up in his his log cabin and he's sort of telling her that she had an accident and he brought her back and he's, he's sort of looking after her. But of course, there's something a bit more nefarious going on with this guy. She can't find her phone. She can't find her backpack but we know that he's got the her stuff and all this um the the thing about this film for me that works is the music the music is very striking um it, it, it it's full of these sort of big orchestral notes and then we have this sort of finnish um sort of folk music and sort of chanting and stuff at various points. I, I really did enjoy the music. I think it's shot really well. It's edited very well. Does it make a lick of sense? Not quite so sure. 
and it is another film with a very limited cast and you're kind of stuck with only these two people which if it doesn't work you know if it doesn't grab you then it's going to be a bit of a chore to sit through i'm yeah kind of on the fence mainly because the ending and and what i believe was actually <clears throat> happening so we'll discuss that later um but steve what did you make of another day to live through yeah, I think I'm in the same boat as you, to be fair. It was very well acted, but it's it was the time jumps that that, that did my head in. Mm. Um, because you're watching it, it jumps backwards. And you end up watching the same thing over and over again. And it just seemed a bit pointless, really. You know, you've got, there's one part where she gets up out of bed, goes and sits on, um, like, the veranda outside the house. The rocking chair, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and you can see a body in the background, mm. you know, and I'm thinking, hang on a minute, mm. is that him, is it someone else? What, what? He doesn't mention it, you just see it in the background. Yeah. And then half an hour later, you get to that point again, and you know, then it explains what's happening. It's just, I don't know, maybe if it had been a bit more linear, hmm. I might have enjoyed it a bit more. It was just, <clears throat> they're watching, you know, the same part over and over yeah. again to finally get to a conclusion that, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. the, film, the film they're watching is The Last Man on Earth, which yeah. is uh, hmm. Vincent Price film mm. um and yeah and, and it starts in media res which which as you know is, is my favorite trope of um some movies but yeah so um rich how did he get on with this one oh well uh, i i thought well we're firmly in art sort of art film art art horror yep or mm. art sci-fi territory here and um yeah, I, 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 that sort of thing does rub me the wrong way a little bit at times. Um, so there was certain things that I did, you know, was quite interested in, but there were other bits that I just thought were quite indulgent and, you know, you know, dwelling, you know, uh, was it not navel gazing, but you know, just sort of like mm-hmm. I'll just get on with it kind of thing. Um, the there's some curious. It's funny that you say like the music and whatever was what I hated all that. I really didn't like the music and stuff at all. That was really pushing me away. Um, but the um, there's some interesting devices and stuff it, it, as well as that that they use. Like for example, you know, like where's there's the scene or scenes where you're seeing one thing but you're hearing the audio from a different scene. Yeah, it's almost that, like you that, you that, think yeah. something's you feel, feel, you feel like something's gone, gone wrong with the film. Yeah, yeah. I, I really did. I thought something had gone wrong. I was like pausing it and restarting it. Yeah, and, yeah. Oh no, no, that's, that's how they actually wanted it. You know, to yeah, present the film. Yeah, you're trying to so your 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 brain's sort of being torn in different, <laughs> taken mm-hmm. two different because you're trying to watch one, and you've got different things. So there's kind of. It's like a sci-fi time loopy kind of thing is happening, uh, and so they're emphasising that I think with you know um, one thing is being experienced at one point and another another thing is being experienced, but at, at the same time, mm-hmm. I think that was what they were going for. Um, the last man on earth kind of thing is is a is a touchstone, and 
because uh, these people are almost in a similar, it seems to be a similar kind of situation. So they keep sort of touching on that. But they, even with that, they've got like these bits where they overlay like the same line of lines of dialogue like during one scene it's like they, there's a lot of repetition of it as if it, as if this is like something that's happened over and over and over again you know it's like you're in a like a like a needle on the record kind of thing it's like stuck it, it just sort of keeps emphasizing it um it reminded me a lot of it's remind it, it reminded me of other things we've seen you know there's elements of outpost there's elements of the um uh, that film about the guy who goes out into the hunting uh, mm-hmm. Uh, the Joseph, I think it's some, something, something Joseph Chambers, I think it was yeah, called. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so that was another film sort of in the woods and sort of meandered a bit and had these sort of audible, audio, you know, audio ball, uh, sort of stylistic tricks and stuff they were doing. It's another one where people get into a confrontation and, you know, somebody gets knocked out and all that sort of thing. Um, and this stuff happens with, with that. So yeah, so I just, I was, I, yeah, I'm just not really into this kind of thing. It, it, the other thing it reminded me of was that, you know, you know, the end of the world thing with the robots outside and it was the people in the house and whatever. Yeah. Um, so it was that kind of thing. Um, as Steve, as Steve might say, it's one of them. You know, it's uh, it's just like, oh, yeah. I didn't really get on with it hugely. I think I, there's stuff in it that I can appreciate, but yeah, it wasn't really for me. Fair enough. Okay, how are we going to score it, uh, Steve? I'll give it a five. All right, I'm giving it a six. And Rich? Yeah, I think, to be f- fair, I'll sit on the fence with a five. I'm not going to say it's unwatchable or anything. I think it's. I think there's mm. there's definitely stuff in there to, to appreciate, but it just wasn't really for me, so I'm going to sit on the fence with a five. Okay, okay. Yeah. So two fives and a six for another day to live through. Now, if you don't want to hear about um, us discussing the ending of the film, uh, skip over this bit. So spoilers, 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 starting now. Guys, what the fuck? Um, I, I got the impression that she's meant to be some sort of robot. Oh, no, I didn't get that. No, I didn't get that. No? Okay. <laughs> Just me, then. I thought she was meant to be some sort of, like, Artificial companion. That's um, gotten wrong. No, no, no. no, I, don't, no. So. I didn't get that. But I do, but I do think I, I do think the guy at the end mm. is the other guy. The other guy. Mm. But then we have this thing at the end when she's looking in the mirror, and her reflection is just complete blank. It's not. It's not her face. Yeah, but there's. That's earlier on as well. Okay. When she picks the, the playboy up and there's no face on it. That's the sort of horror element, isn't it? Where, yeah. where they're sort of yeah. they look at the picture, there's no faces. That as the she's talk, she's looking at you know she's having she's with that guy at the end, the younger guy at the end, and there's yeah. a moment where his face disappears. Yeah. And um, yeah, that's the sort of horror, psychological horror sort of element. Uh, to it. You don't know, really know fully what's going on there. I didn't take it. I mean, it might be that she's a robot. There might be a whole Blade Runner kind of thing mm. going on here. But um, to me, I, f- I found that they, I felt that they were in a, they were in this sort of cycle of uh, loops, which mm. again is a is a theme I've seen. There's a film I've got, on, I think, on my on my watch list, which is about a couple of people who go to the woods and basically end up, you know, 
trapped in a spiral. And I think I've mm. seen another film like that as well. So I think it's that kind of thing. And I'm pretty sure that um, the guy, the younger guy who she meets at the end yeah. is the older guy that she was with for, for the rest of the film. Interesting. Okay. See, I didn't get that. Because <laughs> he was dressed the same. He had the cap and everything. Right. But I might, but again, I might be completely wrong in that. I might have misunderstood it because, say, I didn't really follow the follow the sort of the the, the, the well, obviously, of this film. Yeah, we we got we're definitely sort of taking different things away from this one. So yeah. on on that note, it would be interesting if um anyone anyone who watches it to to let us know what they think. You know how how are you interpreting this film? It would be uh, interesting to find out. Okay, end of spoilers, end of spoilers, end of spoilers. Let's crack on. Our next film is The Sound of Silence. A young woman called Emma must uncover the dark secret behind a cursed radio to survive and protect her family. There are some interesting visuals here, a couple of interesting elements to it. But there's nothing really here we haven't seen before. It feels like it's trying to copy the Bloomhouse style of um, sort of horror films, which isn't a terrible thing to try because uh, that's been very successful. Um, again, I do want to talk, talk about the ending a bit later on, um, but not in the same way as we talked about the other film. Um, but Rich, how do you get on with the sound of silence? Um, well, I think it's it's a good looking film, mm-hmm. but I just don't think I don't think a lot of the horror works very well. Um, for example, there's a bit where the uh, well, there's some bits. So I think it was like white noise and stuff like that. It reminded me of so the it seems like the ghosts it's like haunted house kind of thing. so the ghosts become visible through the radios on yeah through like sound waves mm-hmm. basically so there's the radio but then they also use other things later and and um, whenever something's turned up loud or whatever the ghosts whenever it's convenient yeah yeah <laughs> um the i think so some of the initial stuff like you know turn it on it's there turn it off Turn it back on again. Oh, they're a bit closer. Ooh, closer. You know, kind of, we've seen that kind of. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No, was, just repeat what you say. Oh yeah, yeah. So we've seen stuff like that before. Um, it's the, it's the, you know, somebody dies in the beginning. A couple goes to the house, <laughs> and they start to, and, and then there's a, there's a whole haunting thing to deal with. Uh, it's a bit like amateur or radio, basically. Like how there was there was that whole cycle of Amateurville movies where it was oh it was a there's a clock or you know a dollhouse or whatever and this dollhouse. was something that was linked yeah. to the linked to the house and that could this could very much well have been something like that the radio looks really nice very stylish radio mm-hmm. but uh, you can't really um, hang a whole film on that uh, this funnily enough was based on a two minute short. Uh, so the the radio was like the focus of that short, and and they they tried to flesh it out a lot more. And I think a lot of the you know when the ghosts appear and they start like attacking or lunging, there's, they they do this thing where they stick their arms out and go rah like that sort of thing, and it just kind of looks a bit silly, um, yeah. you know, unthreatened, not 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 particularly threatening. Now, what I did think was interesting, they do that stylistic thing where the camera moves with somebody's 
mm-hmm. body or, or or the bodies yeah. as they fall to the ground or fall yeah. onto a bed or something, and then the scene, and then sort of like the, the environment changes, mm-hmm. which we've seen in a couple of big, you know, a couple of high profile. But it's it's like it's a bit like a James Wan kind of move. Yeah, I don't know. It's good. Know he, it's good bit yeah, I don't know whether he did it first, but it was kind of like. They did that. A couple, I think, like, uh, I think it might have even been used in *Malignant* and stuff as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, James Bond. But the um, that's a sort of a stylistic trick that they do, which looks okay. But they, they, they do that a couple of times. But it's it's borrowed. You know, a lot of this stuff is stuff you see. It's an Italian film, mm-hmm. uh, shot mostly in English. So there's that old style, uh, you know, Italian films made in English kind of uh, thing going for it so it feels a little bit like an art you know not argento but you know uh, mm. from from around that sort of, sort of time sort of look, yeah. yeah um and yeah i just that, i think that's it really i think that's the problem i think some of the uh, acting and stuff isn't great i really don't like the music there's a the whole thing about this song at the end yeah and they say oh this song's great and Amazing. i'm like no no it's not it's it's a terrible song i don't like this song at all um so again a bit like um the, the previous one we were talking about, there's some music and stuff in here that's featured uh, that I, I just didn't click with, which didn't help. Um, and then um, and then there's the ending, which I will get into you with uh, once we once we go into spoilers. I, I, yeah, I, I, want, I, got, I do have notes about this one. There are a couple of things I want to bring to note. First of all is the lighting. Mm. Okay. The lighting in the, this family kitchen it, the kitchen is almost in near darkness because it's all mood lighting. You know, yeah. they're supposed to be, you don't cook in darkness. You know what I mean? You don't cook in a murky, bloody, you know, stick some fucking lights on. It was ridiculous. Um, so there's that. The whole thing with the boyfriend, the, the amount of contrivance. I mean, how much bad luck has this girl got, really? You know, not only does she turn up to her parents' house and find a cursed radio, but on the same day, her boyfriend gets waylaid because he's bike stolen, and then it takes him ages to get to the house. I mean, that is such bad luck and such a contrived coincidence for those two things to happen. You know, it, it's just like... It's so obvious a way of just delaying him from getting to the house. Mm-hmm. It's, it is really bad sort of script writing as far as I'm concerned. Um, it's, there was another thing that slipped my mind. Oh, yeah, the whole thing about her, you know, oh, the, the irony that she's a singer but can't sing in front of other people, you know. And then the whole thing is to do with sort of silence and noise. And it just so happens that she has this, issue you know this this sort of psychological blockage which is preventing her from winning these auditions in the first place oh the irony of it you know of all the people this could happen to it had to happen to her you know what i mean it's like oh it's just dripping with irony the whole time anyway um how are you going to score it before we get into spoilers i I think I'm going to go four on it because I just don't think enough of it works. Um, unfortunately, I don't yeah. think it sat- satisfies. Um, yeah, in in the sort of basic requirements, uh, apart from looking like uh, looking decent, you know, I it's think it just falls work. short in too many 
too many other too many I, other names. I agree. It's it's you know there's stuff happening with the ghosts, which is you're thinking, who are you haunting? You know, we're seeing them do stuff, and it's like, but there's no one else in the room. Why are you there? You know what I mean? It's 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 sort of things like that. It's like you you're haunt you're trying to haunt the audience, not the people. At the end of the day, the other but thing anyway. is the movie's called Sound of Silence, and you can't stop thinking of the song The Sound of Silence, yeah, which is a fantastic no, song, which of course they don't have the rights to use, so it's no. it's not you. Uh, and maybe they wouldn't have used it anyway, but mm. you know, even even like the disturbed version, I mean, which is really good in itself, mm. but um, it's like yeah, it's like you've named it after a after a fantastic song, which kind of puts you on, uh, puts, you know, you're you're just thinking about something great when you're watching something really, really mediocre. Indeed. I'm going to be a little bit more generous. I'm going to give it a five. And I think the reason I'm giving it a five is because of the ending, which we're going to talk to shortly. So that's a four and a five for The Sound of Silence or Sound of Silence. Go check it out. Okay, spoiler time. Spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. I must admit, uh, Rich, I, I looked away from the screen for a moment and mm-hmm. then came back and I'm thinking, have I started a new film? <laughs> yeah, because if you don't notice the fact that there's, you know, the the, um, the radio has changed hands, yeah. you could be easily forgiven for thinking they've, they've just wrapped up that whole story and then just starting something new. Because what happens doesn't seem to be related in any way. It's just the fact that the radio's in the room. Yeah. Yeah, but that's well that's what I was thinking. It was like it doesn't seem I don't I don't think the two were connected. No, I not think it really. was a it was like yeah. a different well this was the thing I was gonna say was so it's a painting, right? So the the, 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 the radio comes in mm-hmm. and you think something's gonna happen with the radio and it doesn't, it just kind of get puts gets put away. But then they bring out this painting. And then I was thinking, so by some weird coincidence, is this painting from the same house that the radio? Because the radio was coming via via a sort of a, com, a, a completely different route because somebody yes. picked, somebody else has picked it up, blah blah blah. Got thrown um, in the trash, in. and then somebody else found it, brought yeah. it in for. But I was, you know, got a I was thinking, it. has yeah. that painting been in that house or something? Is it has, is the is the woman in the painting a, mm. the woman we've previously seen, or is the woman dealing with the painting? the character we've been following because she looks a bit similar but seemed to me to be a different character different character so but, um, as far as i could tell yeah it was a completely different scenario i think on the, on the yeah. way that had nothing to do with anything that had previously happened no I, and and i think that radio is just a conduit you know it's, it's like a, a um a catalyst for supernatural stuff to happen even when it's not being turned on or anything. Yeah, it just happens to be there. Yeah, okay, um, that's fair enough. Yeah, it could be because obviously the ghosts were still there even when the sound waves were not making them you know, yeah. visible. So it could, yeah, it could be that the the radio has triggered, mm. you know, it's going to be like that Blumhouse universe kind of, not the Conjuring yeah, universe, exactly. well, you is, know, where yeah, they say, it, oh, Blumhouse, here's right, these, yeah, these yeah, things. Yeah. And it's, yeah, like, yeah. it's all going to be connected and there's going to be another film which is going to be about this painting Mm. Which is linked to the radio, but it's not actually about the radio. Well, exactly. I think it was just like the, um, you know, the launching point to for, for yeah. a new story. Uh, that would but... be interesting. To if I mean, I I think it's, you know, I'm I'm not sure how I feel about it, but because it was a bit well, confusing. But I, I kind of admire the ambition if that's what they're trying to do. <laughs> however, 
However, you know, I, I reckon Bloomhouse need to take a close look at these guys and, and think about issuing a cease and desist order because they are aping their style so much. Okay, Steve, I'm going to run through what happens at the end of this yeah. film. Okay, so we have this woman working in this antique store. She receives this painting, this portrait of a woman, right? So she puts it to the side. She, uh, somebody's given her this antique radio, which we've seen all the shenanigans before. The painting falls over. It's got a cover on it. When it falls over, she picks it up, um, uncovers it, looks at it. Then suddenly something taps her on the shoulder and she whisks around and there's nothing there. She turns back to the painting and the figure in the painting has disappeared and is left an empty chair. And she gasps and then she turns around and lo and behold, the woman from the painting is now stood behind her. She screams. Then the woman disappears and goes back into the painting. And then at the last minute, just as the archivist or you know the antiques woman is, is about to leave, it reaches out and grabs her and pulls her in the painting. Was that done? Was something like that done in yes, the nun? It was exactly something very similar in the nun. It's, it's like you know, it's like I don't know. It's like a booby trapped. It's like a booby trapped jump scare. You know, one thing setting up. You think, ah, that's going to be it. No, 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 that's not the jump scare. This is the jump. Oh no, that's not the jump scare either. Oh, no, you know, it keeps building and building and building. But anyway, yes, it, it is so similar to the stuff that the Bloom, you know, Bloomhouse Studios been doing. Um, that I'd, you know, they—it's just too similar. It's just like people are just going to, well, yeah, that's that's you know the sort of stuff they're doing in the Conjuring and the Nun and uh, mm -hmm. Annabelle and all that sort of shit. Well, maybe they'll hire these guys to do um maybe. to do one of the one of the next films. There are there are collective uh, three directors called uh, T three. Um, yes, I didn't mention that before, but um, yeah, they they didn't they did the Sound of Silence short like. A year or two before, and they've done some other shorts and some well, other features, I, I think, mean, as well. Yeah, but, and, I, and I'm glad that you know they, they've been able to develop a short into a feature. We we're always, uh, you know, supporters of that sort of thing. Um, but you know, obviously, you know, that their producers probably went, we, we want an Italian bloom house, yeah, and that's basically what they got. So, anyway, end of spoilers, end of spoilers, end of spoilers. Let's crack on with the next film. Our next film is The Curse of Crom. High school teenager Mary accidentally unleashes an ancient Irish entity in her hometown and must stop it before midnight on Halloween. I was a little bit disappointed that this turned out not to be a Conan the Barbarian movie. <laughs> but having said that, I did enjoy this a lot. Um... It feels like an R.L. Stein book, mm -hmm. you know. If it, it, it feels like it is, yeah. Um, you know, there's definitely a threat there and stuff, but it's it's not too deadly, if you see what I mean. You know, it's. Yeah. Um, but you know, there's lots of scares and things going on, but it, it it's not going to be. You know, there's not high body count. That's what I'm trying to say. With this one, but we do get some pretty engaging characters. Uh, we, we've got uh, Mary, who's um, you know a bit of a dick to begin with, and then sets this whole thing off because she's been a bit conceited. Um, 
but you know, at least she's uh, self-effacing enough to un to understand that. Yeah, she she's the one who cocked up. Um, her her sort of best friend is is, is a good laugh. Um, the other couple uh, and was it Stephanie, the blonde mm, one? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I I really liked her. <laughs> Just really dumb. It it's it's kind of like you know somewhere between the Scooby Gang and um, you know Buffy. Basically, sort of the way the way they're sort of made up, um, yeah. And and, yeah. and I I did enjoy it. You know the, the 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 whole thing with you know we need the book. We need we need to figure out what's going on and all this sort of stuff. And at the same time, you know we got this sort of family issues uh, with Mary, which sort of puts her more in in harm's way. Um, I I thought this worked really really well. Um, Steve, what do you make of uh, the Curse of Crom? Yeah, it, it kind of reminded me of like not so much the Monster Squad, but something like that. You know what I mean? If the Monster uh, Squad was, it was about you know if they were like seven years yeah. older than they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I just thought it was a little bit. There wasn't enough there for me. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like you said. There's there isn't a kill count as such. Um, I think there's one death, isn't there? Yes, I think, yes, I think yeah, yeah. And then I, it just didn't. I know it's not an R-rated movie. It's probably like a PG, PG thirteen. But mm -hmm. I just kind of expected a bit more, more scares to be fair, because it. it it's not real scares because everything is telegraphed, isn't it? So every time the creature yeah, turns I mean. up. It, it, you know, because we've got all the dry ice and everything, it's like, yeah, we know what's coming. Yeah, there's, yeah. there's no jump scares or anything. It's just sort of building up the atmosphere. Yeah, I just, I just think there would have, you know, there would have been a bit of something there. You know, even though it's not like, like a proper adult horror, I just thought some, you know, sometimes it could be a bit edgier and hmm. give you that little bit of a scare. Uh, and the effects, while they were practical, I'll give them that. I just thought, like, especially at the end, they were a little bit too ropey. It kind of reminded me of something like The Gate or mm -hmm. House or something like that, which I think it could have been a bit better. Uh, but I thought the performance was pretty, pretty good, um, especially the um, the main girl, mm -hmm. Mary. Yeah, Mary, yeah. Uh, and I, I, did, I did like the fact that they did bring the family drama into it mm. uh, as well. Because that, that kind of came out of, not out of nowhere, but I didn't expect that in this kind of film, if you know what I mean. Sure. And, and I did like the like 80s synth kind of score as well. I thought it was quite good. So all in all, yeah, I don't think I liked it as much as, as you, but mm -hmm. I did, did enjoy it. That's cool. Okay, uh, Rich, how do you get on with The Curse of Crumb? Yeah, I wasn't quite sure what to expect. And it, it starts out very, very... Uh, John Carpenter's Halloween influence. Mm -hmm. So I thought, oh, we're in. I thought, oh, it's going to be like a a slasher movie, you know, very much, you know, tipping its hat to, um, you know, uh, John Carpenter and other directors of that, you know, of that period. Um, mm -hmm. Whether, um, and it, it kind of is at first. It's quite, it's very quite. It does feel quite straight, and then as it moves, as it goes on, a bit more comedy comes into it. Mm -hmm. um more comical stuff. there's comical stuff 
but sort of no more than you would expect in like a Friday the 13th movie or something. But then it got kind of really sort of starts to dwell on certain situations and certain comical uh, elements. And it, it does lean very, you know, it sort of tips into like more more of a comedy situation the, than, than a typical horror one. So that's sort of, uh, there's a little bit of a tonal shift that happens um, and it sort of moves back and forth a little bit. But once I sort of got, you know, got into that, I actually quite, that gave it its own sort of um, character. You know, I, I quite enjoyed the sort of the, the novels, you know, all the stuff about, you know, the, uh, uh, the girl, the, the friend with the, with the cat and the cats died and mm -hmm. they need the cat. They do need to do a whole pet cemetery -ish sort of thing. And um, so there was some sort of comedy coming out of that, or that situation. And uh, yeah, I think, I think I did like it over, overall. I mean, you, if you look at it on IMDb, it's got a fantastic poster. I don't know if the UK mm -hmm. release will have that, but it's very much a throwback to, you know, uh, the sort of artwork, um, the sort of, um, uh, the, uh, I think it's, I can't remember his name, but uh, Jeff, uh, Jeff, might be Jeff Humphreys, uh, uh, and things like Spookies and, you mm -hmm. know, the, and sort of the, the Nightmare on Elm Street movie sort of posters Recurse and things. And things um, yeah, um, that sort of thing. So the film is definitely, I think you're, I think you're, I'm, I agree with you. It's sort of a throw. It's nodding back to sort of comical teen horror uh, stuff from the eighties, but without going like full Stranger Things. Mm -hmm. It's like it's very much. It's not sort of hitting you on the head with like you know. It's set. It's set now. It's not like oh, we're set in the past, and you know, yep. it's not playing and playing an iconic tune or anything. It's it's just in terms of the the general sort of tone of it uh, is a sort of throwback. I, I'm, you know, Chud, uh, not Chud, but like Chud 2 maybe, and, and things like that, um, stuff from that period. Um, so, and I did like the, um, the, uh, the monster, you know, the creature effects and stuff. I thought some of it looked better than other bits, but some of it looked really, really good, I thought. Um, I was quite impressed. Uh, and I thought the um, you know the sort of the whole investigation element and everything that we're you know we're quite used to seeing in this sort of stuff was quite well handled and so I quite like the humor. You mentioned goosebumps, and I think the um, that that's quite a, a good comparison because the it's I don't know if I think it says at the beginning it's based on a book by um, mm. uh, an author called R. H. Grimley, who oh. is a, a writer of uh, you know young young you know horror for kids basically, mm -hmm. and um, was. You know, if you look up his bio, he says how influenced he was by Goosebumps. So there's a definite Goosebumps through line there, um, I think, was um, uh, um, the sort of R.L. Stein, the R.H. group. I think that name is, you know, is a nod in itself. Sure. So I think, you know, if you're somebody who's familiar with that, I never really read those books when I was younger, but I was I was very much aware of them. And I know they, they had a big impact on a lot of people and sort of... Um, you know, very much as sort of a gateway to moving on to other, you know, more more mature horror uh, as they went forward. But um, you know, Goosebumps is was quite iconic, and it still is. I mean, there's a there's a there's a new, I think it's a series, new TV series coming um, onto one of the streaming services, if I'm not mistaken. I think there was a film a little while ago with Jack Back. Or it was two two films. Yeah. Oh, it was two and films, then, was it? Yeah, and then we had oh. the. Um... You know things like things like Fear Street sort of you know feeds into yeah. Well, Fear Street was another thing that I thought maybe this was close to. I haven't seen it, so I can't 
Oh, it's I a lot more yeah. violent. Fifth Street is a lot more violent. A lot more violent. Yeah, this is, I think, very much, you know, more kid friendly. It's it's like a horror movie. It is a horror movie. I'd show this to Josh. It's got enough horror, yeah. I think, yeah. I'd, without I'd... sort of toning it down too much. I think it's just there's not a big body count or anything, but it yeah. is fairly straight. And I think if you're a you know a young teen or, or you know whatever, I mean, I enjoyed it at my age and i think but younger people you know probably the more intended audience would would also enjoy and equally enjoy it i think i think you, you know a lot i think that it's a film that seems to have a a broader reach of um you know p- for a potential audience than that at first might seem the case yeah, so absolutely. i hope it finds its audience because i think it could it could easily be mismarketed mm-hmm. so uh, we'll have to wait and see what the um i mean it is out to i don't i don't know if it's getting a a DVD release uh, at the moment, but it is definitely uh, it's on streaming, so it's kind of one of those things that people are going to have to kind of discover it. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think if you if you know what you're going into, whatever. But even if you don't, you know, if, if I mean, people listening to us would would know what they're going into. But you know, people coming at it, I think they would still enjoy it, even if it didn't turn out to be the slasher movie that they were initially expecting. There's a, there's a couple of things, um, you know, it goes into the sort of background of what Halloween is and, so, you know, Samane so, so, so and all that. So, um, yeah, so, yeah how you, however you pronounce it. They pronounce it right in the film. I just can't. Um, and, and the thing about sort of leaving food out, you know, there's all of the things that sort of happen. Mm-hmm. And there's one of the girls who gets attacked and she's hiding under her bed and she just happens to find a half-eaten carton of sort of Chinese food. I'm thinking... Who the fuck has half-eaten Chinese food <laughs> under their bed? You know, Ugh, that was gross. like it was very <laughs> gross. Yeah, indeed. But um, yeah, that was quite amusing. But, but um, I quite like so... the um, the tie-in with it. You know, there's the whole story and the character development, yeah, yeah. and you know what what mm-hmm. you know she's doing these um, like um, just eat kind of deliveries. Yeah. And the guy is just saying, "Leave it on the porch or whatever," and he's open it up but, and leave it. You know there. that you. And you realise why when later on, you know, that all makes sense. And I think that's all really nicely, mm-hmm. nicely done. Um, yeah. and, you know, that the, the they want, you know, there's um, things are set up and you think it's meaning something, one thing, but it's actually it's actually something, although it seems completely innocuous, it's actually very important in a completely different context. Indeed. I, before we give the scores, I just want to give a shout out to Monica Moore-Smith, who played Stephanie. I thought she was brilliant. I thought she nailed that yeah. sort of vacuous blonde. I think she's definitely girl. the standout. Yeah. I, I thought, yeah. you know, she, she was, you know, she, she wasn't mean-spirited at all. She, she was just a bit lost in what was going on. You know, very sort of very Cordelia from um, sort of Buffy. Yeah. Sort of and most of the comedy comes from her character, indeed. I think, yeah. from, and the, the, them sort of—they're uh, basically trying to keep her in the dark. And uh, by the way, the other, the, one of the other guys, didn't you think he looked like the Rock? Yes, <laughs> he's got, yeah, he's he just looked yeah. like so much like he could have been son of the Rock. <laughs> yep. Yeah. All right, scores on the doors, Steve. Um, I'll give it a six. I'm giving it a seven, and Rich. Oh, uh, I think it. Yeah, I'm going to give it a seven. I think it's a seven. I think it's a good seven. watch. Cool. There we have it. Two sevens and a six for Curse of Crom. Go check it out. Our final main review is Final Summer. 
In the aftermath of a tragedy at a summer camp, a group of camp counsellors find themselves fighting for their lives against a masked killer. Now, Rich, we've already had an exemplary um, summer camp slasher movie with mm -hmm. She Came From The Woods, which we yes. really enjoyed and had a really good short. Um, and, you know, uh, the for me at least, the second part of Fear Street um, mm -hmm. still sort of like in the back of my head, uh, which was an, also a really good sort of, you know, uh, 80s set cut summer camp movie. And wouldn't you know it, We've got another one, which loses a point for lack of originality. But for me, again, it more or less nails the, the concept and the premise. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, we get a decent sort of prologue, which makes me sort of scratch my head a little bit because it's like, well, how does that actually tie into anything that happens? But never mind. Um, but then the, when the film starts proper, it starts with you know as most films most films would have ended by now kind of thing but this one starts with the the cops turning up you know there's a crime scene and the counselors are sort of stood around i thought that was a great way to start this film um you know it it gave it a sort of a unique feel to to go in at that point you know that um that, that a death has happened we don't know what's actually happened but the cops are there and like you know and the, all the counselors look like they're in trouble um, and then it sort of leads into, you know, oh, the place is shutting down and they have to sort of, you know, close the place down and, you know, spend the weekend kind of like what we saw in She Came in the Woods. She Came from mm. the Woods. Um, mm. <laughs> came in the Woods is the porn version. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so, so they're shutting the place down. There's no kids around, you know, it's just them. Um, and lo and behold, they start disappearing one after the other. I really did like this. You know, there, there was a sort of, um, I, th I think the only thing it loses me on a little bit is the flashbacks with the girl. Because you're not really sure what they actually are. You don't know, you know, what, what incident in the past is she flashing back to? And it's not really clear until right at the end of the film. How did you get on with um, The Final Summer? Um, I liked it with some reservations. I think uh, I think you're right. You know, we've we've seen a lot of films that have been doing this. You know, uh, again, I've sort of alluded and was talking about it a little bit earlier. But you know, this one's a bit late to the party. Mm. Um, it's kind of coming after some really good one. One, one of my favourites being uh, "You Might Be the Killer." Uh, yes, that was a good one. Yeah, yeah. Sort of playing more of the comedy uh, with the with the situation. This one is probably. Uh, the one of the straighter ones. Uh, there's, there's, I think I say there's a little bit of humour in there, but it's mostly played completely straight. Um, the I don't think necessarily the the killer is that strong of a presence. I mean, it's a it's another example of a fairly you know straightforward killer in a mask kind of situation. By the way, the, the other thing is lots of fan films and stuff that we've seen, like uh, 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 Friday the Thirteenth fan films and stuff, have also you know, ploughed this mm -hmm. furrow, uh, uh, some of which have featured uh, Tom Matthews, who appears here as, um, as a, I think he's playing the sheriff. Yeah. Uh, he, yeah, Sheriff Palmer. Um, he He's um, in the Never Hike Alone uh, film, which is, uh, and various other uh, 
in the films where he's reprised the, the character that he played in uh, Friday the 13th Part 6. Um, so this is very much a tip in the hat. You know, it's an homage. Uh, you know, it's exactly what it's, you know, you expect it's going to be, unlike Crom, because Cr this is kind of what I thought Crom was going to do, and Crom actually goes off in a, a different, you know, sort of more of a... Uh, tween friendly direction mm. but uh, or, or teen friendly direction i don't know you sort of walked out of the cusp whereas this is very much you know um a full, a full on you know yeah. um you know uh, camp campground slasher movie um with a couple of the same kind of twists and turns that you would you would expect i don't think there's enough i like it uh i think you know it's it's not quite got the budget could it could just be you know it just needs a little bit more if they manage because i think it was crowdfunded mm. um i think if if they just managed to get a little bit more money it would have it would have benefited um but it looks pretty good um say so the cast are decent i don't think it's a particularly memorable film i think it's a bit it ends up being a slave to the convention so much that it's it it almost loses its own identity which i think you know, she um, she came from the woods, had a very had a you know had a really good identity of its own, yeah. as well as sort of harkening back and playing with all these conventions and a great sense and great humor and, and jokes and stuff, um, uh, in, in combined in there as well. Um, saying you might be the killer did did the same thing. The um, whereas this one, it, I mean, I'm not saying I don't want to indicate that she came from the woods it was a comedy because it wasn't, but there was a, there was a reasonable amount of humor in it. Um, this one, yeah, I think I think it's fine. Uh, I think I I was hoping that I would get more out of it than I did because I do love slasher movies. I do I do I do really enjoy the films from that period. Mm -hmm. I just don't think the killer had enough presence. Uh, didn't, uh, but uh, maybe that's just me. Um, but uh, you know, it's it's it certainly you know hits all the hits all the right touch points and stuff. You can tell it's made with passion and. Um, it's definitely, you know, definitely one for the fans of the genre. Yeah. So I, I did really like this. I must have, there, there are a couple of things I, I did have issues with. One, as I said, the flashbacks, you know, they needed a bit more meat to them to sort of really sort of um, explain what was going on because they're, they're just, mm -hmm. you know, just so obtuse and, and, until right at the end when you find out who the ring belongs to. Um now, I'll be honest. Stuff. I don't really remember much of this. Is a this is a problem? That's what I'm saying. I I, I can't really even remember what that was all about. I remember what you were saying about like the beginning because we've got this sort of insight. Almost is it an inciting incident? We're not we're not so quite sure how it related. It seems like it is the inciting incident. Well, but I then, don't know. But I, then it's like, well, it's is it? I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of explained. disconnected from the. Well, there's two the things. Accident. There's the prologue at the beginning where we have some mm. other campers sitting around talking about you know spooky goings on mm. and then dying and then it jumps five years into the future so it starts in 86 jumps to 91 mm. when there's another death and you're never sure if it was accidental mm. or if it was you know done by the killer but considering this mm. not exactly a spoiler um there's, there's an incident at the beginning when two characters are taken in to see the you know the the um, the, pers the the police basically and explain what had happened, um, and one of them, as, as the other one comes out, is going, "Well, what did you say? What did he say?" You know, thinking, "You sound really guilty. 
right now, you know, very culpable. And and maybe that is why things happened, you know. Mm. Maybe, as you say, maybe it was an inciting incident. But then again, there's something else, you know, another character appears at the end, which suggests that they were orchestrating everything, you know, pulling the Mm. strings from the start. So, and then there's another twist right at the end of the film, which sort of like, you know, makes you wonder what the hell's really going on. Um, but it doesn't really fit the the film, any of it, you know, the, mm. the, the, the stalk and slash kind of element. Um, I was wondering at one point, and, and the ending does kind of allude to this, is that it, it seems to be very convenient that the killer just happens to appear. I mean, considering how big the campground is and, you know, all the various people are split up and it just seems very convenient that the killer knows where everyone is. Or, you know, the killer suddenly knows they're going to make a run for the car. I better, you know, turn up next to the car to kill somebody. Yeah. Kind of thing. You know what I mean? It's it's like, well, okay, well, that's over there. But then the the shower room is on the other side of the camp and he just kills somebody over there. And, you know, the other guys are in the main building and you seem to be terrorizing them. You know, it's it's like, well, how how the hell is that working? It's it's, it's as if the film has a bit of a sort of disconnect, um, and it's, it's almost as if it's not aware where where everything is itself. But then at the end of it, you're thinking, oh, maybe it does. But there you go. I did like this. I did. It's it's not as good as she came in the woods. She came from the woods. Bit of a four did sit there. Um, or <laughs> Fear Street Part Two. Um, However, you know, it is solidly done, I thought. I, I did enjoy it. I, do, I just wish they'd made something a bit more about the identity. I mean, there, there is a, a nice red herring. You know, you think, you, you kind of think you know who the killer is, mm-hmm. you know, from the off because of what happens at the beginning. But, you know, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I won't spoil it. But there you go. And Rich, how did you score it? I'm, I'm going to go... I'm going to go a six on this one, I think, just because it, it's, you know, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's treading some well-worn ground. Uh, and as much as I always appreciate this kind of thing, I just think it's just lacking just ever so slightly in something. So, um, so yeah, it's going to, it's going to be another six from me. Yeah. I want to give it a seven, but I did say at the top of this review that I was going to dock it a point for lack of originality, because as I said, you know, I've mentioned two other films, which we enjoyed more than this in the of this ilk um so it is a very solid six for me and i just want to give a shout out to the character of ronnie who's the sort of the tomboyish one who helps um sort of patch up one of the people uh you know she she actually gets the friend of the year award basically <laughs> um she, she's you know she's the one who puts up the most fight she she helps her friends escape you know, and you do sort of feel for her character a bit um, more more than some of the others. You know, enough to actually remember the name of the character um, <laughs> by the end of the film. So, so we'll you know we'll pour one out for Ronnie. Um, but there you have it. It's uh, two sixes for last. Sorry, final summer. Go check it out. Our short shot this week is Flower of Battle. 
A gifted swordsman and his assistant travel through the provinces of Italy seeking employment. Uh, this is a great love letter to things like the Three Musketeers, the Princess Bride especially, um, mm. Blackadder. You know, there's elements of all sorts of stuff going in here. I, I thoroughly enjoyed this. Um, I, I would love to see this made into a feature. Uh, Steve, how did you get on with um, Flower of Battle? Um, I'll be honest, I didn't like it at all, to be fair. Oh, interesting. Uh, that, I did not expect that. I thought you would have really liked it. I, I thought the, the the choreography in the fight scenes was pretty decent, but I'll be honest, I didn't find it funny. Um, it's, you know, it's supposed to be a comedy. I don't think I laughed once, to be fair. And it just, everything seemed signposted. Um, even the, well, like I said, the bit that got me the black eyed bit was, you know, not realising it's a girl, you know, mm. like the, the Bob thing. Oh, the Bob. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, it is Bob, isn't it? Yeah, I'd forgotten yeah. about it. <laughs> and it, I don't know. I just didn't find it funny. Um, nothing landed for me at all. Um, I just thought it was quite, obviously it's supposed to be quite smug. Um, but I just don't think he, he pulled it off. I don't think it is smug as he should have been in a way. You know what I mean? He was just a little bit too lax for me. And... Even the actual enemy, you know, the end, like the enemy guards when they turned up, they didn't seem to pose a threat as such. And yeah, I just, I just didn't find it funny. It, mm-hmm. it just didn't make me laugh once. Mm, so, yeah, I, I must admit, I did laugh once out loud, um, and that's when the end of the first fight ends rather, rather nasty. <laughs> Um, that, that, that did make me laugh. Um, I did like. I, I like that as well. <laughs> there's a series of books I really like um, about a warrior set in this sort of time period called Sigismondo. He, he looks like a monk, um, and he sort of basically he, he's got a uh, an assistant called Benno, and and they do just go around you know various provinces and sort of solve murders and things like that. They're they're very good, very well written, very witty, witty. And I was kind of reminded of that a little bit uh, with with mm. the setting of this. Um, but I did like the character. He's you know he's he's pompous. He's very good at what he does, but at the same time he's incredibly dense. You know he think he thinks was it he, he, he thinks bread is a vegetable. At one point, and, <laughs> and, and doesn't understand that his his uh, his protege is actually a girl, um, pretending to be a boy, when it's perfectly obvious that that is the case. Um, yeah, but you know the the fighting stuff, the the choreography was very well done, very reminiscent of um, the Princess Bride, with the whole you know switching hands. You know, I know something you don't know. I'm not left-handed either. And so I'll switch to the other one. All that sort of stuff going on. Um, and, and I like that sort of final bit when, when you know, all the guards and they goes, ah, my audition. I thought that, that was, uh, you know, quite witty. So, yeah, I, I, I did like this a lot. Um, Rich, you curated this one for us. So 
what can you tell us about it? Uh, well, it's, it's by the uh, uh, the Gubarek brothers, uh, who I've not been familiar with, but I saw that um, essentially what happened was uh, I saw that Eric Jacobus is running oh, yeah. a series of interviews, uh, a bit like Scott Adkins' Art of Action. Mm-hmm. He's got his own series where he's interviewing uh, various people in the sort of uh, working stunts and, and filmmaking. Uh, and uh, Gadali uh, Gubarek, uh, who's the... Uh, the one of the co-directors and the star of, of this film was um, uh, one of the latest uh, subjects. So I was just looking up what he'd done and what, what he was after and saw, you know, this is his new, uh, this is uh, him and his brother's new film uh, that's just come out. Uh, and I thought, well, check it out. Be quite, it might be quite interesting. Uh, not, I was expecting, because um, Eric Jacobus is interviewing a lot of martial artists and stuff, I was I I thought it was a bit, it, it was quite interesting to see that this is this is a a swordplay film. It's very it's very much about the swordplay uh, element. I mean, obviously that's martial arts as well. But the um, uh, the type you know to emphasize that, and it has its own very much identity. Like you're saying, it's uh, it's very very like Princess Bride and stuff like that. And it's it's quite explicit about that. I mean, it opens with a storybook and obviously all these sort of things that we remember of of those sort of fantasy, fanta- comical fantasy stories mm-hmm. from the past. Uh, this is sort of touching on. Um, and I think it works. I, th- I, I, I think the, um, I'm, I'm not actually a big fan of things like the Princess Bride and stuff, but I can definitely see the through line. Uh, and I, I like that. I do like Black Adelaide and I do like the, um, uh, the, you know, the foolish hero, hero, you know, sort of almost the, that, that sort of, uh, you know, there's the grand tradition of these comic characters who are, you know, kind of uh, driven by their egos and stuff. But there's, they're actually, you know, very flawed characters. They just don't seem to see their flaws. Hmm. But they, you know, it, it can it it can be di- difficult to paint those kind of characters to be sim- sympathetic. I mean, that was one of the great things about people like. Um, uh, you know, like Rowan Atkinson and Rick Mail or whatever, they could mm. make these characters like really na- nasty at times, but yet still, you know, characters that you you, you like and you know you, you almost root for to an extent. And uh, this character is is much more uh, gentler, I would say, than than something like a uh, like one of those characters. He's he's not he's not he's there's nothing cruel about this character. He's 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 a bit pom- he's pompous. Uh, and you know it's a bit sort of myopic um but he's you know he's 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 a nice guy really <laughs> which i think sort of works quite nicely he's just sort of uh there's just funny lines like you know things like um how he says oh well she's a she's a member of the royalty so therefore she is automatically right <laughs> you know stuff <laughs> like that and little 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 nods i thought the script was good uh i thought it was funny um you know the, all the stuff about uh and uh, I must, uh, you know, uh, Beth May as, as Niccolo was really good as, like, you know, um, uh, she's sort of trying to encourage him and, uh, you know, she wants to be trained and he's like, oh, no, we can't, we, we can't train you yet. And, uh, yeah. and he's like, no, well, you're not training me at all. <laughs> kind yeah. of, and just wants to, wants to just get, get on with it. And she was quite a sympathetic character. And then they meet up with what I'll term the Spanish Inquisition. It's not the Spanish Inquisition, but there is a little bit of a, a Monty Pythonish element of of these three sort of coming coming at them and for the for the final sort of big sequence, um, and uh, 
they're they're some of the, they they they've got some of the same sort of foolish characteristics as he does, so that's you know that's not sort of an even match there. Uh, you know, it's it's witty, you know the the the, the sword play as you as you would expect um, from a film with you know somebody um, somebody that, you know that Eric Jacobus is is taking an interest in and you know talking to people. You know, you, you're going to expect the action to be of a certain standard, and it definitely is is good. And we don't see a lot of stuff that's you know focused on swords, yeah. um, really. So um, I think that was that's quite refreshing. So it's got its own sort of uh it stands out you know it's it's i wouldn't call it an action movie it's very much a comedy yeah. but the the action in it is quite strong i think you i think you're right you could flesh it out but i did like it as a as a 15 minute film i mm. think it was quite a you know a neat and tidy little short you know it ends it, it, it it's got a beginning middle and an end kind of feel to it it's uh, it's like a, we've sort of dropped in and observed these characters for a little bit but you, there's definitely potential for you know whether that's a feature-length version, or, or or just seeing these characters in another short adventure would be quite fun to see. What you know, does Niccolo, uh, you know, become the focus, or you know, to, to get to develop, you know, into into a, uh, you know, character. You know, because we've seen these kind of movies where the actual the apprentice ends up being actually a lot better than yep. than the master. Uh, and I think we could we could end up seeing that developed and some some sort of fun being had with there because he he probably not accept her as being good. It's like no matter how good she is, he he would probably say, "Oh yeah, I was all right." It was okay. yeah, exactly. Yeah, I could, I could see that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So uh, yeah, no. So I thought this was Constantly really good. Constantly criticizing her or something. Yeah. yeah, but you know, in again, sort of like an Alan Partridge character sort of thing. <laughs> they he would do that kind of thing. And, and again, sort of the character can be a bit of a uh, bit not very nice, but you still you, you sort of still like them. But uh, yeah, so I thought all all, all round, uh, I really thought this was a, a great little film. Totally agree. Okay, we don't score the shorts, but we do recommend you check them out. And you'll find a link to this in the footnotes below. Go check it out. Our DTV throwback this week is Shadow Guard. When a religious leader is injured, his bodyguard must seek a donor for his rare blood type before his enemies manage to kill him. Um, that is basically the plot to the film The Last Blood, starring Andy Lau, Alan Tam, and Eric Sang. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. I'm not it's, aware of that one. No, it's, um, well, funny enough, it's getting you released shortly um, in this country. I, I've had a copy for ages from Hong Kong, but um, I think 88 films are putting out sort of soon. But yeah, their version is a little bit more, even more action-packed than this, basically. Um, so we've got uh, the likes of Simon Yam as the um, sort of the main rebel leader, the bad guy, and then we've got um, Michael Bean as this sort of drunken or ex-drunken uh, expats or living in this made-up country of Perma, uh, and it turns out he's got the, the sort of rare blood type needed to transfuse for this religious leader who's been, um, you know, someone's tried to assassinate him, and his assistant or his bodyguard has been sent to um, retrieve him. There's there's a whole bunch of other people with the same blood type, and they're being systematically murdered by by the rebels um, to sort of make sure that. 
no one can get the um, you know transfuse any blood for the uh, the religious guy. Um, Steve, how did you get on with uh, Shadow Guard? Um, where do I start with this one? I mean, it look, basically is blood transfusion the movie, and mm-hmm. I thought the fighting, the choreography, the choreography was great, but the direction not so much. Mm-hmm. Um, you lose, you know. There's a, I don't know, there's a punch thrown, and you see it doesn't connect, and then it jumps and it connects. If you know what I mean, mm-hmm. the, the, the editing was again was all over the place. Also, the dubbing as well. Um, I don't know why, but half the film Michael Bean was dubbed. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if that was to do with ADR or what, but it was done very, very badly. And all the dubbing was done terribly as well, I think. And it's, you know, it's just typical. We need to get to A to B with avoiding the rebels type thing. But it just didn't have that spark for me. It was a couple of, like I say, Decent fight scenes, but the editing, the direction was terrible. And the scene when in the hospital, where mm. they're firing at each other from about three feet away with so many semi-automatic weapons, mm-hmm. and it lasts so long, and nobody gets shot, and nobody reloads a gun. It's really uh, good that the uh, the drywall was um, reinforced with um, steel plating. With lead, obviously, yeah, yeah exactly, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and there's just little things as well. I mean, it's like halfway through, a guy gets shot. And as he's like, you know, in midair, and his squib explodes. All of a sudden, it just freeze frames Such on him. freezes, yeah. <laughs> and it's just weird little directorial decisions that, don't make sense. I mean, I don't know. Is this? It says Michael Bean's like a co-director on it. Yeah. Is it his first? Is it his first one or? I think so. I th- I I think this is the one I asked him about. Um, because mm. I did get to talk to him a few, quite a while ago now. Um, I'm just checking IMDb. I will edit around. I'm this. pretty sure it was his director David. Yeah. Because yeah. because he, he he made a film called Grindhouse. Uh, which was like his first sort of proper sort of film, and this mm. he, he did you know he did this first and asked him about it, and he said he said basically he was there to work on it, and the director went sick and basically sort of disappeared, so he 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 was left sort of, oh, wow, sort okay. of like, you know try, trying to sort of put it all together basically and uh, work out all the shots, <laughs> so yeah. Um, he talked at length about it. Actually, <laughs> I forgot that I didn't didn't get a chance to ask him any questions about the film I was meant to be talked to him about. But anyway, um, so so yeah, so that's you know a bit of background as to, as to where things are. There, there are some really weird things with this one. It's like the um, when people are shooting guns, it's almost like when you're playing cowboys and Indians or, or soldiers as a kid, and you're actually sort of pushing your you know you're going pew pew. And you're sort yeah. of like making that sort of movement with your hand, even though you know, it's, it's, which is like ridiculous. But um, 
one thing I did like, you know, having because I watched this after seeing um, uh, Dark Asset, you know, my my complaints about security guards just running out into the middle of a corridor and getting shot. At least in this one, people actually hid behind things, and there was yeah. a bit of, you know, there were some sort of tactics actually being used on both sides to, um, you know, to, to to stay alive, basically to try and stay alive at least. Um, I did like the thing with the nurse, that you know, the, the, the nurse being a double agent. I thought that, you know, came to fruition quite nicely yeah. at the end as well. So, yeah, the, there was definitely stuff I enjoyed in this. Um, but there was a lot of uh, a lot of blank bits, you know, lots of bits, yeah. just like when nothing was happening or just get past. But the, the choreography was, was sort of well done. Uh, that's, that's for sure. Uh, Rich, you've had this on your watch list for a while. How did you get on with it? Yeah, I've, I've, I've been. I've, yeah, I've, I've wanted to see, see it ever since I heard about it. But the uh, so yes, that's like um, this was made in what 2010, 2011. Mm. Uh, so it's been a while, and it took a long time to get a UK release. So I think it's it's been on. Um, it's never come out on deep on physical media. Um, yeah. But I think it, it did come out a while back on like um, VOD. Um, it's also known as the Blood Bond uh, in some areas. Uh, the, the the main character is not Michael Bean. Well, at least in the first part of the film, mm-hmm. uh, the main character is not Michael Bean. It's uh, um, Diva, played by uh, Phoenix Valen, who's also known as uh, Felix, Felix Chow. Chow. Chow yeah. um, she's so um, it starts off with. Um, a lot sort of a, a in media res sort of action scene uh, where she's sort of doing a bit of a Tomb Raider thing, kind of you know jumping across and having a fight with a bunch of people, and um, that sort of sets the tone. And you can sort of te- you get the tone of the sort of choreography and the way it's going to be shot and the, the set design this one. So you can tell that it's the production values are are, are a bit limited, not too bad, but you know you know we're, we're on the lower budget side. Um, I think she was she was all right, but I, th- I think you know, like most actors and actresses, you know, there's a fair amount of doubling and stuff being done. But she was doing all right. Um, but I think there's just something about I don't know if because she hasn't done many films. I mean, this is pretty much her only lead. I think because she might she's done a couple of other things. I don't know if they were lead roles though, but um, she doesn't have a lot on her IMDb. She's um, she's she's a bit uh blank uh there's not much uh she doesn't you know there's not much of emotion or anything coming out of her and this is the thing with her character she's supposed to be like this sort of trained you know soldier you know trained protector uh and uh of of this um uh of this uh you know religious um leader you know this uh, wise 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 man kind of character um and so, and she's just, you know, she's very professional and stuff, which, you know, you see with a lot of these, you know, buddy sort of situations, but they don't sort of give, you know, there's not a lot of um, appeal. She's not a very appealing character. There's not a lot of, you know, there's, there's, I think there's, there's one, this jumped out at me. There's one moment where she sort of smiles and sort of, uh, and that's when he says that she's beautiful and she's like, oh, you think I'm pretty? I was like, she's like, What's like, why is she acting like that? You know, it's, it's like, why is she suddenly like, oh, really? <laughs> kind of thing. I, it was I like... must admit, I, I do wish it looked like 
that her fight scenes were causing her effort. If you see what I mean, you know, mm-hmm. her fight, her, her choreography and everything looks very effortless, as if you know, it's, it's very smooth, um, and her expression doesn't change at no. all. You know, um, and I, I think that's kind that's of what's what I mean. missing. Yeah, it, she's just kind of a blank. Um, robotic. She's almost robotic, and I guess mm. kind of, part of that's the point. But I think in a lot of these things, you know, there's you get character growth, and you know, they sort of let the, you know, they start letting the guard down and stuff like that. And mm. the 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 oh, I'm pretty scene is a little bit of a letting the guard down thing, but not enough. And it's, I just think we don't warm, we don't get to warm to her character very much. Um, and then Michael Bean comes in uh, twenty minutes in. Uh, he's top build and so then he from that point on he gets to kind of be the main be essentially the main character or the the, the guy you know they have to team up and then they're on the run or, or you know they're doing the thing and stuff but even he um you know he's good but you know it's it's again it's a bit of a cliche role it's mm. the, the guy who's had enough and he's gone out you know he's, he's they've got to go a bit a bit like when they go and find john rambo you know that kind of thing yeah and um he's he's kind of the but they do this massive you know it all it's all this massive coincidence that she you know they've she's got to they've got to go and find this these blood donors and he's one of the ones on the list uh and they're, they're all like, oh no he's too far away we're not going to go and she's like no no you look after the one you get the ones locally mm-hmm. i'm going to go and find him yep and um and it just so happens that he <laughs> like the bad guys who were trying to kill the the guy and everything, kill all the donors or whatever. He's got this history with them, of course he has. It's like it's like this. Um, st- it's almost like that Steven Seagal kind of thing. It's like the Glimmer Man, you know. It's like oh, he's involved in this case, but it, oh, it just actually it happens to be that he's got this long history with the with the bad guys. Mm. Anyway, so um, there's there's that, and um, yeah, it's it would be. I think it would be fine if he didn't start getting dubbed all the time, which suggests to me that if he was the director, uh, I mean, there's a co-director, uh, Anthony um, Sito, who's, co- who's the co-director. Um, but if he's like the main director, why didn't he get the, you know, the dub done? Why didn't he do the ADR? Um, I think there's a lot, there must be a big, there must be stories about the making Indeed. of this film. Yeah, yeah. And um, he, I, I'm guessing he parted company with the production at some point which may be why Anthony Sito's on there. Maybe he was brought in for reshoots, additional scenes or something. I don't know. Um, but there's a definite little disconnect there. And yeah, he's dubbed way too much. He's dubbed almost to the extent of, of one of Steven Seagal's movies from the from the 2000s. There's so much dodgy dubbing going on, um, which I think, which is detrimental because that's not, my, that's not Michael Bean. That's not who Michael Bean is. So I think it, it, it reflects poorly on him. And I think possibly unfairly so. Um, I'd like to think anyway, because I think he seems like a real professional. Um, the film, uh, the action is choreographed by Louis Fan, uh, Louis Fan Su Wong from uh, Ricky's story of um, story, uh, of no, story of Ricky, sorry, mm-hmm. um, and lots of other stuff. Uh, most recently, films like VR Fighters. The he was also in Steven Seagal's Attrition and. Uh, another film called The Borderland, which was from the same director. All I of these are linked yeah. by um, Bay Logan, who was involved in this. This was originally conceived by Bay Logan, and Bay Logan's got these links to um, to these various 
uh, mm. to like fancy one and stuff. So um, yeah, he can he conceived of it. But like you say, I mean, you you tell me that that plot line or whatever, and that's exactly the same. I can't believe it. He's basically just it's an unofficial remake or yeah, or rip off really of, yeah. of that film. I can't believe um, it took three people to write a remake. Well, <laughs> yeah, I, that's, and, that's and what the, I mean. It's it's a bit um, yeah. dubious. Yeah. Um, we also got Jennifer Blunk Bean in this. Yep. Um, so Michael Bean's wife. Uh, she also starred with him in his other directorial film, um, also known as The, the Victim. The yeah. Victim. Which, um, which, which I have seen. I, I did quite like it. Um, it, is a, it is a grindhouse style film. Uh, I did tell him it reminded me of early Russ Mayer, and that was met by complete silence on the end of, other end of the phone. <laughs> <laughs> but there you go. Um, but yeah, she, I thought her scene was quite good. You know, she plays this sort of a, uh, you know, head sort of, sort of criminal kingpin kind of character who you know may may or may not lend them some weapons. Oh get... yeah, I know the character you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, but um, yeah, and we get Simon Yam, and we do. Villain. Yeah, we get Simon Yam. Yeah, of course. Yeah, all, but he's slum- He's kind of slumming it. He did do. He's done a few of these films where he just seems like he's he's too good for the films that he's in. It's yeah. like he's in he's in this. He was in um, uh, Wake of Death with Jean Paul Van Damme and stuff. It's almost and... like you know, you know, like Samuel L. Jackson will sometimes take roles depending on if if there's a decent golf course nearby. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's funny you mentioned that because I've just listened to an, a biography of him, and he does love his golf. <laughs> yeah, you may imagine sort of Simon Yam having sort of similar reasons to think, well, a couple of weeks in Thailand. Yeah, right. You know, probably took the family with him or something. <laughs> well, here's another thing that's detrimental about the film is that they, that all the characters uh, speak English, mm. um, and I think you know I know that was the whole that was the thing you know for a long time, and it, it's only really changing now. Mm. But it would have been so much better if there were subtitles involved. You know, if they yeah. if they were allowed to speak their own language, it's it mo- it's so much more authentic, and you know, in, in, is, I think yeah, works especially... better. Especially the um, the henchwoman, you know, who, who sort of reminds me of um, oh uh, Ruby Rose. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I think she should should have fared better in her own language. I think. Well, the, a lot of them are dubbed, and then there's some of them who aren't dubbed, and the, the mm. sound is really in the dubbing and the sound. The sound in general is all over the place. Some of the sound is, you know, really. Yeah. Po- um, like echoey or something and so there's there's a there's a real issue with the the sound editing and the soundtrack of the film as a whole i think they were fine i think they were just glad to finish it and just dump it on streaming services or vod or something the funny thing is this is this is still as as flawed as it is Mm. it's very it's it's completely flawed i think you you could liken it to some of like the roger corman action movies of the 80s Mm. and and uh, and i guess 90s as well it's got you know the, the sort of it's all taking place in the a lot of it's it taking place in the jungle and everything they try and do a hard-boiled thing yeah. in the in the hospital at the end yeah. but it's 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 fine but vixen which was the other film that um uh, mm. bay logan made uh, i mean he's made i think he's, he's made a few films but that's like the other sort of signature one alongside this that he was kind of getting or going at the same time that's appalling <laughs> so the, the product the, the, that's a terrible production um, uh, this one looks well. this one at least is you know at least you've got decent actors like michael bean in this one did you did you guys have an issue with the aspect ratio 
I think it was. I think they cropped it because yeah. I think it must have originally been in two point, you know, like a two point yeah. three five sort of a letter. Some, some of the subtitles, not the subtitles, but some of the captions. Yeah, were cut know, off the, at the side. I think it's been cropped. Side. Yeah, yeah, I think that's um, what it is. There was one scene in particular when when the girl goes to visit the Dalai Lama character, mm-hmm. and yeah. because they've chopped off the ends, you 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 can't see her when she comes through the door. And you oh, can't, yeah. and you can't, can't see, see him. That light yeah, armor. yeah. You know, you, yeah. He's you, sitting on the bed, the dogs, isn't he? And you can't yeah, yeah. see his head <laughs> because, because they, they've, you know, chopped off the ends of the bloody pictures. Ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. yeah. I don't know if that's a. Um, I don't know if all the versions are like that, but I, 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 I presume so. It might be that there's a wider, wider cut available. Um, but yeah, I think that's what happened. By the way. Um, uh, Anthony Anthony Sato, who was um, say the co-director, he's uh, he directed a film called Wushu, uh, which which featured um, Sammo Hung, uh, and has done a few things. He did. He, yeah, funny enough, I mentioned Roger Corman. Yeah. He made a Roger Corman film called Fist of the Dragon, yep. which uh, which uh, I haven't seen yet, but it's uh, it's on, you know it's on the list. Um, that's um, he is Juju Chan's husband. All right. Which uh, is uh, so I, I only learned that uh, I only learned of that today, but uh, yeah. So I think it's yeah. I'd, I'd really really like to know more about how the what the making of this film and stuff was like because I think mm. that's where the that's what what that's the more interesting stuff than the film itself. I think it's cur- it's a curi it's a curio because you know it, it's being directed by Michael Bean and mm-hmm. Michael Bean in in this sort of um, uh, you know this environment, and he, he did actually go on to make, as I think I've said before, other films in Asia, like um, like Dragon Squad, mm-hmm. which was I think Bay Logan was also involved in that one. That was the one that Steven Seagal was uh, was an executive producer on. Um, so again, there's all these these films are all kind of tied together, yeah. and uh, of all of varying degre- degrees of quality. I think Dragon Squad actually is not too bad in terms of. Uh, its quality it's a, it's a different kettle of fish because it's um, it's more of a true kind of hong kong movie but um yeah this was it was a disappointment because uh, i was i was hoping for a lot more it does feel very much like a either a, like a cross between like a like an 80s 90s b movie and like a like a uh, like a tv movie from, sure. from the same sort of period as well it's got that sort of tv sort of limited budget sort of feel to it and stuff so um yeah i definitely I, I would say people you know if you know martial arts action fans should see it um for for for, uh, for curiosity value but it's yeah. not great mm-hmm. yeah so this is available on youtube uh that's where we, we discover this so we'll put a link to that in the footnotes uh, it's go, also available on other other services and stuff but I'm yeah, sure for, it is. yeah. For, but for the moment it is uh Mm-hmm. free to view on YouTube. And that's the end of this week's show. So thank you for listening. Uh, thanks to Rich and Steve for this marathon of films that we've been discussing tonight. I think all of the, out of all of them, my favourite is actually uh, Final Summer, probably followed by King of Killers. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think that's the one I, I found most consistently entertaining mm-hmm. uh, overall. Um, but yeah, an interesting mix of stuff there tonight. Um thoroughly enjoyable to, to, to catch up on 
Don't forget to check us out on Facebook and Twitter at the DTV Digest and also the Short Shots, where Rich will put a link to a new short every evening around about 8 o'clock. Thank you for listening. Tune in next time. Thank you for listening to the DTV Digest. Let us know your thoughts in the comments and tune in again next time.